Well, good morning and welcome to Faith Church. It is good to be with you guys. Uh, uh, I should tell you something. Uh, with, with Ben leaving and with uh, Zach and Al leaving, as we just announced about Ben, uh, something you may not realize is that means that Taylor, our worship director, is losing an entire band. He's losing a drummer, a bass guitarist, and an electric guitarist. So if you have any musical skills in those areas, now would be the time to say, okay, Lord Jesus, I will step up and I will step in and gladly do that. So just real quick, if you've ever played electric guitar, no, I'm just kidding, I won't do that to you, but you know, maybe the Holy Spirit pokes and prods you. Maybe this whole sermon, you can't hear anything other than I'm supposed to go play guitar. Now, if you've never played guitar, he's not talking to you. Okay, so I just, I just wanted to get that out there. Um, uh, it is good to be with you guys this morning. My name is Kirk. Uh, I am the senior pastor here at Faith Church. And uh, this morning, I have to begin by telling you that, that today, you're probably not going to learn anything new. I know right away, some of you are like, oh, so normal Sunday. Um, <laughs> thank you for that. Um, but, but what I mean by that is that we're walking through the Christmas story, and as we're trying to unwrap the Christmas story, the truth is in Scripture, there's only four chapters in all of the Bible about the Christmas story. There's two chapters in the book of Matthew, two chapters in the book of Luke. The two other Gospels, Mark and John, they don't even talk about the Christmas story. They jump into Jesus and ministry at the age of 30. And yet every single year at Christmas time, we will spend three to four weeks talking about, teaching on, walking through the Christmas story. Which means that this is probably the most talked about and taught on passage of scripture of all scripture in the Bible. And so uh, what that means is there's not a whole lot of new left to present to you, right? Like there's not any new characters suddenly showing up. You're, you know, you're not all of a sudden like, oh, I didn't know there was a Leroy in this story. Yeah, you know, and that's good. This is good news. It means there's no Jar Jar Binks showing up to ruin the story, okay? Right? Some of you Star Wars fans are like, yes, thank you. So I, I'm not going to actually give you anything new today, but what I do think will happen today, what I'm hoping to do is maybe remind you of something about the Christmas story that sometimes we forget or sometimes we almost ignore because what we're going to talk about today, it doesn't bring us all the feels that we always want at Christmas. It doesn't bring us all the, oh, that feels so good, oh, that's so nice and so exciting. It doesn't always work that way. And so sometimes we try to ignore this or we just forget about it. But the truth of the matter is, is that as we unwrap the Christmas story, we have to deal with what it is that we're going to talk about today because it's an incredibly important and key part of the story. So with that, let's dive into Matthew chapter 1, verse 18, and let's begin to read through the Christmas story. It says, this is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel commanded him, and he took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. Okay, I know you got that, 
right? I know you got that because because even if you're new in church, even if this is like your first time ever in church, you've probably heard bits and pieces of this before, whether it's because you grew up watching the Peanuts Christmas or you heard it somewhere else or you've heard some of the Christmas carols. Chances are you've heard bits and pieces of this story. So, so I know that you kind of got it, but did you get it? I mean, did you really get it? Because the truth is there's something in here that, that, that you're not going to get or see on a Hallmark card. There's something in here that never shows up in a Christmas greeting. It's not in any of our Christmas songs. It, it, it's not something that they say when they're standing around the little red canister ringing the bell, right? It, it, there's something in here that you just don't typically hear at Christmas. It's not in any of those Christmas movies or any Christmas cartoons, but on the very first page of the Christmas story, on the first page of the first gospel, in the first book of the New Testament, first page, first gospel, first book, it tells us what the reason for the season is. It tells the reason for the season is, and the answer is not Jesus. <gasps> you can't say that in church. Well, if that bothers you, hold on, because you're about to not like what comes next. <laughs> The truth of the matter is, as we read through the Christmas story, the reason for the season is sin. The reason for the season is sin. It's not Jesus, it's, it's sin. See, Jesus was around long before the manger ever showed up. Jesus was around at the creation story. In Genesis 1, God says, let us make man in our image. When he says us and he says our, he's talking about God the Father, God the Son, which is, the, which is Jesus, and then God the Holy Spirit. So Jesus was around long before the Christmas story. Jesus always has been and always will be because he is God. So why did Jesus come to earth in human form? Why is the Christmas story necessary? Why was it necessary for him to do this? The truth is found in scripture that we just read. It's right there in verse 21. Let me show it to you again. It says, she will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. This is the reason for Christmas. Sin had to be dealt with. And Jesus was always here since the beginning of time, but he came as a baby, not for himself, but for us because of sin. And I know some of you right now, you're like, I came here for a Christmas message, Kirk. You're going to make this all about sin. You're going to ruin it for me. Hold on. There's good news coming. We're just not there yet. In fact, let me foreshadow for you the good news that's coming, and then we'll dive right back into where we're headed. So Luke chapter two, another one of the books of the Bible that actually has the Christmas story. Luke chapter two, verse eight, here's a foreshadow of the good news for you. It says, and there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over the flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company, the heavenly host, appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. It's good news of great joy that's for all the people. Now you have a Savior, a Savior to save you. Save us from what? From your sin. You have a Savior now who can save you from your sin. 
See, when Jesus comes, what this means is that sin will be dealt with once and for all. It means that the brokenness of you and I can be dealt with. It can be fixed. We now have an answer for what we cannot answer for, which is the junk that is in our lives that is sin. Now, the next thing that happens in the Christmas story is that Mary and Joseph, they take Jesus to the temple to dedicate... To de- that wasn't tongues, I promise. That's not what that was. <laughs> to dedicate, there it is, to dedicate him <laughs> and also to give God thanks for him. And so when they get to the temple, there's this old man there by the name of Simeon who's been waiting for the Messiah. He's been waiting for the promised one of Israel. In fact, the Holy Spirit came to him, you're going to see in a minute, and kind of told him, hey, you're not going to die until you see the Savior, until you see the Messiah. And so they come, and there's Simeon, and this is where we pick back up the story in verse 25. It says, now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child, Jesus, to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation which you have prepared in the sight of all the nations. Simeon says, Sovereign Lord, you can dismiss me. Simply saying, Sovereign Lord, I can die now. <laughs> I can go and be with the Savior. Uh, it's okay because, I, or I can go and be with you in heaven because I've seen the Savior, because I've now seen the Messiah. He proclaims that Jesus is the one who will save the people from their sins. And then you jump down a few verses to verse 36, and it says, There was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Penuel of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple but worshiped night and day, fasting and praying, coming up to them at that very moment. She gave thanks to God and she spoke about the child all who were looking f- to, to, to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Israel, recognizing that this child is the key to Israel being redeemed, to Israel being rescued. And so you've got four chapters of the Christmas story. And the truth is, they're all about sin. We don't sing about it. It's not in Christmas plays or on Christmas cards. I don't ever remember a Christmas cartoon as a kid sitting down and watching it and explaining it's about sin. You you don't sit around the tree when you're putting ornaments up, pull out the good old sin ornament that you made one year and put that on the tree. Ah, sin. Put that next to joy, right? Like, we don't do that. We don't talk about it in this way. But if you just sit down and you read through the four chapters of the Christmas story, you can't help but see that sin seems to be the reason for the season. In fact, these four chapters seem to just almost scream it at you. Jesus came to earth. He was brought to earth because of our sin. And it just tells us that, that the heavens open up and the angels cry out and they cry out to the shepherds. And what do they say? They say, we've got good news of great joy. That's for all the people. A savior has been born to you. A savior because you need saving, because you need saving from your sins. And then Simeon comes and he sees Jesus and he holds him up. I picture it's like Lion King. He's got him up here, right? 
And he's like, I've seen the salvation of the Lord. He goes, I I can see how our people are going to be saved. I can see how this is going to work. I can see how they're going to be rescued from their sin. And then Anna comes and she says, this is the redemption of Israel. This is how all of us will be redeemed because we can't do it on our own. And this is the child. This child will be the one who does that. And here's the thing. If you miss this, if you miss this, then you will get caught up and all that culture has tried to tell you Christmas is supposed to be about. If you miss this, you'll get caught up in all that culture tries to tell you, you know what, at Christmas season, you don't measure up. If you miss this, that's what's going to happen. You're going to feel like your Christmas doesn't measure up to everybody else's. Because culture tells you that you can watch a Hallmark movie every single day for 31 days where everything ends up great. Where everyone ends up with the perfect ending and the perfect family. And you can get on Instagram and you can get on Facebook and you can be on Snapchat or you can be on whatever else there is out there that I don't know about because I'm approaching the age of 40 and I realize I don't understand technology. But whatever thing you want to be on, you can be on and you will find the perfect family with the perfect smiles and you will sit there and say, I don't measure up. And if we don't understand what the reason for the season is, if we don't understand the Savior, then what happens is we make Christmas about all the wrong things and it will wreck you. And it will wreck Christmas. And so I want to be clear about something that I want to make sure that we all get and we all understand. It's not new, but sometimes we miss this. The purpose of Christmas is Easter. The purpose of Christmas is Easter. To get rid of sin. If the reason for Christmas, if the reason for the season is sin, then the purpose of Jesus coming to this earth was so he could accomplish Easter. An interesting tidbit here. Maybe this is the one thing maybe you didn't know before today, and somebody will come up to me afterwards and be like, I knew that. Good job for you. You're probably in a doctrinal thesis or something. But something maybe you didn't know was that the early church never celebrated Christmas. They didn't do it. They didn't celebrate Christmas. The reason they didn't celebrate Christmas was because to them, the birth of Jesus wasn't the important thing. What mattered was that there was a day that came that he died and then three days later rose from the dead and he pulled off Easter. And so the early church, they made a big deal out of Easter. They celebrated Easter, but they didn't celebrate Christmas because they understood that without Easter, there is no Christmas. But as a culture, I think one of the sneaky little things that the devil has been doing One of the sneaky little things that he's been slowly influencing and changing and slowly influencing and changing and slowly influencing and changing in our culture. The early church celebrated only Easter and didn't celebrate Christmas, but can you see it in our culture? Everyone now celebrates Christmas, and I mean everyone celebrates Christmas, and Easter's lucky if it gets spring break. Here's what I want us to see. As Christians, sometimes we get all up in arms when you walk into Target and they say, happy holidays. Oh, how dare them say that. Season's greetings. Are you kidding me? And you get all upset and you say back to them, Merry Christmas. Uh, Showed them Jesus. (laughs) Yeah, you did. Yep. Showed them Jesus. And we get all up in arms and we walk around the store and we see Santa Claus after Santa Claus after Santa Claus. And we're like, where's the nativity? There's got to be more nativities and there's an elf on the shelf. And you're like, not in my house. In my house, we've got the Holy Spirit on the shelf making our kids behave. Praise the Lord. Yeah. Touch him and he won't move. Wait, no, that's, that's the elf. That's the elf. 
We get all up in arms because we're certain that culture's trying to steal Christmas. And I think that the devil just sits back and he watches. And I think he chuckles and he laughs and he enjoys it. Because the truth of the matter is all this time the devil has been stealing Easter with Christmas and we didn't even know it. The devil has been stealing Easter with Christmas and we're worried about Christmas. Think about it. Everything is about Christmas. Nothing is about Easter. But if you try to have Christmas without the reason, if you try to have Christmas without the purpose, if you try to have Christmas without Easter, then you're not really having Christmas. And you know what's interesting? Is society tells us that Christmas is supposed to be the hap, hap, happiest time of the year, right? At Christmas, everyone is supposed to be happy. Christmas is supposed to be the best time of the year. And the truth of the matter is, whether you realize it or not, is that Christmas for a lot of people is the most lonely time of the year or the most difficult time of the year. In fact, a couple years ago, Psychology Today published an article talking about this idea about how hard Christmas is for so many people. I want to read to you just an excerpt from their, their article here. It says this, says, we are told that Christmas is supposed to be the happiest time of the year, an opportunity to be joyful and grateful with family, colleagues, and friends. Yet according to the National Institute of Health, Christmas is the time of year when people experience a heightened sense of depression. Hospitals, police, and first responders report higher incidences of suicide and attempted suicide this time of year than any other. Psychiatrists, psychologists, and other mental health professionals report a more significant increase in patients complaining about depression. And in one North American survey, it was reported that 45% of those who responded said they dreaded the Christmas season. Think about that. Nearly half of us that are sitting here today, if we were honest, would say that we are dreading the Christmas season that's coming up. We'd love to just fast forward right through it and not have to deal with it, not have to experience the hurt and the pain that we see coming our way. Many people feel lonely and isolated at Christmas because for many people, it's not the happiest time of the year. For many people, going home is returning to a wound. Going home is returning to a place where they've been harmed or hurt. Sometimes for some people, going home is returning to the very person who harmed you, hurt you, wronged you, and nobody else even knows about it, and they get to act like they've never done anything, and yet you've got to go there and pretend you're happy and put on a smiling face, and we don't realize this, but for a lot of people, Christmas is hard, and Christmas is difficult, and it's not the happiest time of the year. Why is this? What's happened that's caused this? See, I think what's causing so much of this is that the evil one has been transitioning us to get us to forget about what the actual purpose of Christmas is. Trying to make Christmas about material things and relationships. Trying to make Christmas about things that will pass, things that won't last, things that won't fulfill you, things that won't bring you joy. See, see, see evil wasn't trying to make sure that we understand Christmas is supposed to be about gifts and possessions and decorations and parties and all to make us forget what the real reason for Christmas is. And I know right now, right now, some of you are smart and you're going, but Kirk, you said the reason for the season is sin. <laughs> that doesn't seem very happy. That doesn't seem like something we should celebrate. 
Like, do you really want us to walk out of here today and kind of walk up to people and go, hey, have you sinned? Yeah. Me too. Merry Christmas. <laughs> Something feels wrong about that, right? Like, that doesn't feel right. <laughs> no, that's not what I want you to do, but hang on. Because the story doesn't end there. <laughs> There's more to the story. Yes, the reason for the season is sin. And Jesus had to come in human form and die on the cross and rise from the dead. And he did that because of our sin. But here's what I want to make sure you understand. See, the reason for joy, get this, the reason for joy, which is really what we all are seeking at Christmas, it's what we all want. The reason for joy is the Savior. Don't miss this. Oh, the reason for the season is sin, but the reason for joy is the Savior who saves us from sin. And the path towards joy, the path towards real joy, the path towards being able to walk through difficult times in life and still be able to be joyful, that path is found when you get real with your sin and you acknowledge it and you own up to it and you say, I need a Savior who can save me from this, from this mess. I need a Savior who can do what I can't do for myself because I can't fix this on my own? Who's going to forgive me of my sin? I can't do that. I need a Savior who can do that. I need a Savior who gives forgiveness. And here's the beauty. When you step into a relationship with Jesus, when you step into a relationship with your Lord and your Savior who forgives you, there is freedom like you've never experienced before. Because imagine this. All the bad in your life, all those bad choices and bad decisions, the awful things you've done, the things that you think in your head, if anybody else knew what I think, if anybody else knew what I'm doing, if anybody else knew what I do, they would think I was an awful person. And here's where the freedom comes. The Savior says, I'll take all of that and I'll give you my righteousness. I'll take your sin and I will give you me in place of that. And when somebody forgives you unconditionally like that, there is freedom like you've never experienced before. Do you know who I've found in life seems to understand this? That seems to get this really, really well, this idea of freedom that comes with forgiveness? It's it's people that are struggling with an addiction and are working to get healthy. They understand this. They get this. And the truth of the matter is, 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 is that there's, a, there's a, the 12 steps. You've probably heard of the 12 steps of recovery, right? And, and if you ever spend any time looking at the 12 steps of recovery, it's an incredible spiritual formation process. It, it really is. It's incredible. Just dive into it. Spend some time in it, and it will change you. And, and, and what I want to do today is I just want to dive into the first three steps of it. But I want to take the word alcohol out of it, and I want to replace it with the word sin, and I want you to see how it can begin to change us. And I want you to see what sin does to us. So, so let's dive into step number one. Step one says we admit we were powerless over sin, that our lives had become unmanageable. See, this is what sin does to us. Sin lies to us, and it makes our lives unmanageable. It tells us that everyone else at Christmas time has a great family and a great Christmas, and they have great friends, and everything else goes well, and sin will lie to you, and it will tell you you don't have that, and you can't have that because you don't deserve it. You can't have it because you're not good enough. You can't have it because God's mad at you. You can't have it because of what you've done in your past. You can't have it because it's not yours to have. It's theirs to have, and you don't get it, and sin will lie 
to you and lie to you and lie to you and beat you down and beat you down and make life unmanageable. Sin tries to make you think that you have to carry the weight of things that you were never meant to carry the weight of in your life. And it will lie to you over and over and over again. It weighs you down until you deal with it. So how do we deal with it? Step two. We came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Here's the good news. <laughs> you don't do it on your own. Some of you have for years tried to heal all by yourself. You've tried to do it on your own. And you can't. But the good news is, is there is a power, there is God who is greater than you and can, and he says, I've come to help. This is what I've come to do. In fact, that takes us to step number three, which says we made a decision to turn our will and lives over to God. And when you turn your will and your lives over to God, he says, now the sin issue in your life is my issue. Let me deal with this. Let me take this. Church, this is Christmas. This is Easter. And for this to happen, we need a savior. And the good news is, we have one. This brings us to our so what moment. It's funny, as I was working on this message about five, six weeks ago, I was sitting at the uh, Starbucks, the new one just here down the road. Uh, I go there to avoid Pastor Evan and Pastor Nate because uh, you can't get anything done when those two are around. Uh, the rest of the staff is great, uh, just those two. And uh, I tell them I'm at a Starbucks in Potterville is where I tell them that I've gone to. And um, I was there working and I was wrapping this message up, and I got to the place of the so what moment, and, uh, and all of a sudden, I, I, I didn't have anything to write. I couldn't figure out what to put down, and I just was at a loss for words. So I did what I always do, is I just began to pray. And as I began to pray, I only got one thing back from the Holy Spirit. just kept saying, it's not yours. It's not yours. And so I was like, okay, fine. Well, if I'm not supposed to, then, then whose is it? And almost immediately, I just sensed the Holy Spirit, so you need to ask Pastor Michelle to come preach the so what. <laughs> so I went to Michelle later that day. And I said, and I told her kind of what had happened. And I said, hey, look, uh, I want to ask you to preach the so what for this sermon. And I, I need you to pray about it. But, but if you come back and say no, I need you to know that you're in wrong standing with God. Because you already told me you're supposed to. <laughs> and I loved her immediate response. which She immediately said, I, I already sense that this is absolutely what God wants to happen. And so I want to invite Pastor Michelle to come on up here. And she's going to finish the sermon and finish the so what moment. Well, I want to say first that I'm really honored to be the spokesperson to do this um, part of the message. And after Pastor Kirk asked me that, I just went to the Lord and I just, you know, because I take this really seriously that I get to speak and represent him. And I just said, what do you want your people to know? What do you want me to tell your people? And it was almost instantly, I just heard God say, tell them that I'm not mad at them. Tell them I'm not disappointed in them. And I started to just pray on that and to study on that. And every time I get up and speak, I feel like I'm just taking you all on a journey that God's already taking me on and things that he's showing me. But I just knew that God wanted me to tell you that the sin issue that Pastor Kirk has been talking about, the sin issue has already been dealt with on God's side. It's already dealt with. 2,000 years ago, he punished all sin for all people, for all time, in his own son at the cross. 
God already knew ahead of time that we were incapable. There's none of us who are capable of paying for our sin, of dealing with our own sin. He knew that. He's not so frustrated and disgusted with mankind that he's like, whatever, now I'm gonna have to just give you my son. That wasn't it at all. Jesus came to restore us to our position with the Father. That's the whole reason that he came, and sin was a barrier, and sin is the reason that he had to come but he dealt with it completely. I heard God telling to me when I was just wrestling with things, just, I mean, I believe that every single one of us, the enemy, he doesn't have new tricks. He comes the same way he's always came all along. He either is bringing up all the old things that we've done and bringing up regret and past failures or attacking us with things that we may have just done this morning, like yelling at our kids to get out the door and then we come in here kind of feeling, you know, condemned, whatever. The enemy's job is to just bring that up when all along God's saying, this is what he tells me, your sin has been punished as much as it's ever going to be punished. Who am I to argue with the perfect work of Jesus? I personally believe that's why Jesus cried out on the cross. It is finished. He did it. It's over. And the enemy is the one that just keeps bringing that up and bringing that up and bringing that up. And I'm here to tell you today that Jesus came to restore you to your position. He did not come to make bad people good. He came to make dead people alive. He came to make lost, alienated, disconnected people restored into the position that God had for us all along. So today, if you're here today, and maybe, you've, maybe you're a believer, I'll start out with all of us who are believers, who hear that voice that keep us feeling like orphans, disconnected outside of the, of the house, looking in through the windows. When God never, he doesn't see us like that. When you're a believer, he sees you at the table with your face happy and your plate full. But the enemy makes us see us outside, looking in the windows. If that's who you are today, I wanna pray a prayer with you. If you have never accepted Jesus, maybe you're here and this is the first time you've ever heard this message. Can I just tell you, this message is for everyone. There's no exceptions. This is why it's the good news, because it's for all of us. If you've never accepted Jesus as your savior, I would be honored and privileged and ecstatic to be able to lead you into that prayer. It's not complicated. Some of us pastors have been guilty of overcomplicating this and making this more difficult than it has to be. One of my very favorite verses is uh, in John, first John, or John 1.12, and uh, the author says, as many as received him, whoever believed on his name, to those he gave the right the privilege, the right to become the children of God. There's that position again. You see how easy that is? You receive him and you believe on his name and you have the right to become the children of God. It's not complicated. So today, if anything that I've just said resonates with you, if anything in the message that Kirk brought to us this morning resonates with you, can I just tell you that your daddy God has arms open. He has a gift for you. You need to receive it today. It's a gift of peace and freedom and forgiveness. And I would like to ask all of you to bow your heads right now, to just stay in your seats, 
to bow your heads, to just pray this along with me. To say, Jesus, I believe that you are the Son of God, that you came in the flesh, that you paid for all of my sin, that you've taken it out of the way. I believe and I received your gift of forgiveness, and I believe that there is nothing separating me from my Father, and I am a child of God. Jesus, you have made me in right standing with the Father, and I say thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. I'd like to ask you to be bold enough. If you prayed that prayer for the first time, would you raise your hand so we can celebrate with you? Is there anybody who prayed that prayer for the first time? Praise God. Let's celebrate with that hand back there. Woo, praise God. <laughs> praise God. If you prayed that prayer to rededicate yourself this morning, will you raise your hand? Because that's a significant journey, too, and we would love to celebrate with you. Is there anyone here? Praise God. I see hands all over. Wow. Praise God. Well, I want to just congratulate you for taking this amazing step. My prayer this morning is that that the Holy Spirit seals in you what you have done today. This is not a light little thing. This is a huge life-altering change that has come into your life where you are connected to the Father. We have a special gift for you today to commemorate what's happened. If you raised your hand for any reason today, whether it was to rededicate or your first time, at the Next Steps booth back here uh, at the back of the worship center, we have a little ornament that says the reason on it. We would love for you to come up to the next steps after our service to get that ornament, to write the date maybe on the back of it, and maybe if there's a, something special in your heart you want to write, just to remind you of what happened here today, of this new step in your faith journey. Also, we have resources back there. If you want to come see me after the service or one of the pastors, we'd love to pray with you too. So. I'm going to ask you to remain seated. We've got a lot more in store for you this morning, and we're just going to continue to worship and celebrate Jesus, the light of the world.